Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the podcast, I am very excited because of my own personal interest in crypto and the social impact space. And we have got Zach Bronstein, the chief operating officer of endowment.org. How's it going, Zach? Hey, doing well, George. Good to be here. How are you doing today? Well, I, I'm always excited when I can talk about some of my favorite things, uh, social impact, donations, and a little bit of crypto because it's uh, it's increasingly, as I see, important. And you have uh, an amazing organization here that maybe you can just explain what endowment is and we'll, we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, the organization that I help to run is called Endowment, as you said. We are the first fully on-chain 501c3 entity and we are a donor advised fund provider. Essentially what that means is we work exactly like traditional fiat-based donor advised fund providers that allow you to donate stock or tangible property, uh, cars, other assets, right? The difference is that we allow our donors to donate cryptocurrency into their donor advised funds. We immediately take that cryptocurrency, issue a receipt to the donor for their charitable donation, and then liquidate that currency. And the donor is able to make grant recommendations out of their donor advised fund to any one 501c3 entity that exists within the United States. Our whole mission is making it super easy for folks that have crypto and want to make donations to actually do that in a way that allows them to give the entire value of their gift. Using a donor advised fund essentially allows you to bypass capital gains tax because you're actually giving your asset directly to endowment, a charity, you get a receipt for the full value of that gift, and then we're able to pass along the full value of that gift to the nonprofit recipient of the grant. And we also make it really easy for nonprofits to accept cryptocurrency-backed grants without actually interacting with blockchain or crypto in any way. Grants can be delivered either in the form of cryptocurrency or about 99.5% of the time as an ABA bank wire. So we're actually sending US dollars to bank accounts for nonprofits that we work with. Okay, let's dive into the south of its soup. Where to begin? All right, here's what I'm hearing. Uh, people that have wallets, so they already have to be sophisticated enough to go on and, as you mentioned, you are on chain, which means uh, the sort of login, the way you go in the door is like with your wallet. Now, it sounds like it's in terms of a DAF, you know, a donor advised fund it won't necessarily sit there as cryptocurrency and appreciate. It actually is, I guess, pulled to a stable coin or something to that effect. And so I can donate it now and then give it later. Is that about right? That's exactly right. We felt really strongly that once you came on our platform, let's allow things to stabilize a bit. So you actually picked it right up. We take the cryptocurrency, we liquidate into a US dollar coin, which is a stable coin. Essentially, that's a fiat-backed cryptocurrency where every one US dollar coin out in the world has $1 that is sitting in a bank account. This organization, Circle Financial, created the US dollar coin. They have an audited bank account that has essentially $1 
of cash or cash equivalent for every one token that's out there. And then once you actually make a grant recommendation out of your donor advised fund, we either take those US dollar coins and send them directly to the organization if they're crypto savvy and have a wallet, or we use Circle Financial's platform to actually cash out those US dollar coins and again, deliver grants via ABA Bankwire. It seems maybe to the untrained tax professional, like a lot of extra hoops. Why not just take my Bitcoin, simply liquidate it myself, roll on over to my local DAF, DAFs are us, and, and put it in old, old cash style into, um, you know, into my fund? The name of the game here really is efficiency. Let's say you had a long-term appreciated asset like a Bitcoin. Perhaps you got really lucky or you were really smart and bought it, you know, back when it was below $100. Now you see it is, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of value increased and you want to make a donation from it. If you donated that Bitcoin using endowment, essentially you go around the capital gains tax. Without endowment, you liquidate that Bitcoin, you're going to pay long-term capital gains on your gain from that asset some of that goes to the IRS, then you have a smaller amount left. That means that you as a donor are donating something like 78% of the full value of that asset. That's what you get a tax receipt for. And that's also what the nonprofit receives at the end of the day. Using endowment, you give the asset directly. It means you get a tax receipt for the full value of the gift. And then it means that the nonprofit at the end of the day receives also the full value of that gift. So you're not actually creating any deadweight loss that exists if you were to sell that asset, pay the IRS, and then donate the remainder of the proceeds. I think that makes sense. You're bypassing the old, uh, the old Uncle Sam on, on the way. And also, it, it seems pretty simple. Um, you know, it, I think it's hard for nonprofits to get their head around this new economy. And how easy it is actually to transfer money as long as you keep it away from bouncing in and out of, of fiat, which has certainly regulation on the horizon. But right now it is simple. It is very frictionless. And I think it's, it's my read. How about this? It's my read on the, the, the crypto investors, hodlers, whatever you want to call them. It's my take on it that they're probably more apt to want to give to social impact causes that are aligned with their belief system rather than pay exorbitant amounts of tax. What is your sense of, of the narrative of the crypto giver, of that donor? I think that point is accurate. They want to give in a way that respects the values that they've developed kind of working, living, operating in this blockchain space. So for that reason, we find that a lot of our donors are really excited by the fact that not only are we a donor advice fund, not only do we accept cryptocurrency, but we are entirely on chain. So what that means for kind of the non-crypto native folks out there is that every transaction that occurs is being done from a digital wallet and it's recorded in the immutable digital ledger that is the Ethereum blockchain. So any action that we take, whether that's deploying an organization smart contract, creating a fund, sending a grant award to a specific organization, 
that's all happening in a way that's publicly auditable. Folks that are donors in this space are really excited by that because it means that they're able to look at any transaction that we do. They're able to understand exactly what endowment is doing at any particular moment in the day. And it also means that they don't just have to say, here, donor advice fund, take my money and give it to this org when it makes sense. And like, maybe they'll tell me when it arrives, that kind of thing. Instead, they can actually see every time that any tokens are removed from their donor advice fund sent to an org. And anytime that they're removed from that org, essentially that org contract and actually sent to the organization's bank account as a wire, right? So that's a super exciting thing for folks in the crypto community, because it means that not only are we allowing them the functionality that folks in the fiat world have, it means that we are honoring the ethos that kind of makes up the entirety of the cryptocurrency space. Okay, let me pull this thread a little bit. So what you're saying is because it's on the blockchain, and for those unfamiliar, it just means we can go on to an online tool. There's like little tools that'll help us see every little transaction. This money went from this address to that address, this address to that address. It's all there. And it actually, by the function of the way it is built, can't be hidden. Asterisk, my question actually is, when I create an account, does that mean it's associated with my wallet? Is it associated with a pooled wallet? Does it generate a new wallet? Because it actually could be hidden hypothetically if all the money went into one massive wallet and then you're like, I don't know, this pool of money just kind of sits here and you have uh, this many allocated to you. How, do you. how does that actually play out? Because I understand the top level, but like, give me a hint at, at that deeper level. Happy to. So to get really into the nitty gritty, the way that this functionally works is that- Our audience is so excited right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, I'll try to keep it as high level as I can while, you know, addressing the finer points of your question, which is that donor arrives at our site, decides that they want to open up a donor advice fund. They fill out a little bit of information, which essentially tells us what's, who are you and where do we send tax receipts or other forms of communication to you? At that point- the donor sends a small amount of Ethereum or Ether, the token of the Ethereum network, to one of the endowment wallets. That endowment wallet then uses that Ether to deploy a fund contract, a donor advised fund contract that is now permanently associated with your specific wallet address. So to answer your question, it's associated with your wallet. There is one intermediate step of it needs to be one of our custodied wallets that's actually doing the deployment of the smart contract. But it's a one-to-one interaction where we get a request to deploy a smart contract and a small payment of Ether, and then we immediately deploy that contract. So if you were to look at the endowment wallet address, which anyone is welcome to do, you can actually look us up by uh, endow.eth. The letter is ndao.eth. Um, And that's actually the wallet that we use to do most of the actions on our site. But if you were to take a look at that wallet on, say, Etherscan, you'd be able to see any wallets that have interacted with it and essentially use the endowment platform to open up a donor advice fund smart contract. I feel like like that's followable. Basically, the, the thread is there. It's associated with the wallet. And it's just this contract being like, oh, you came in, created this. There's your um, there's your contract. Uh, another random question. What if I didn't want it turned into USDC? What if I wanted to let, let it ride on, let it ride on my, uh, my Doge bet? 
This is actually a question we get really frequently and is our absolutely the most requested feature. Currently, all funds automatically, no one has a choice, are converted into US dollar coin. The majority of the reason why we do this is because as a 501c3 entity, we're under pretty strict regulation from the IRS about how we invest our funds. Even though funds in a DAF aren't, uh, we shouldn't think about them as ours. They're really, they belong to the donor, even though we retain custody of those funds. Um, we are responsible for the way that they're invested. Currently, uh, we would be risking essentially the 501c3 status that we have the pleasure of having currently if we were to say, take all funds in donor advised funds and allow folks to hold Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other forms of cryptocurrency because those are seen as risky investments. We're currently working with a number of different lawyers to figure out the right ways to allow individuals who use our services to say, I want to create some more specific and, and let's say intricate instructions on how to handle my gift. I want to give you 10 Ether and I'm okay with you selling five right now to USDC, but I want to keep the other five until June of 2022, something along those lines. So that's a feature that we're looking to integrate soon, but currently we don't have the ability to do that mostly because of legislation surrounding 501c3 investments. Yeah, and specifically earning money that is non-related to the core benefit of the organization will then be subject to tax, which is a bad place to be um, in, a, in addition to risking the, the C3. Well, this is, I mean, super interesting. I want to turn the attention to, you know, we, we talked about some of what might motivate. I'm wondering what kind of trends do you see in the actual giving choices of your audience as far as you, you can tell? You know, one one of my instincts, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if this is true, is that there is certainly a lot of question about the environmental impact of certain coins and that tax on the environment. I'm wondering if that bears out in uh, donation choices. So I think that's a really interesting topic to delve into. And let me address a small part of your question first before I kind of talk generally about it, which is how much are am I able to share? If you were to go to, and this link will be in the show notes, app.endowment.org slash orgs, you'd essentially be brought to our organization search page. But I bring this up because on that page, you would see every single organization that we have made grant recommendations to and sent them money based on those grant recommendations, right? And you'll also see the amount of money that each of these organizations has received. If you click on any organization that's received funding, you won't be able to see the name of the donor or anything like that, but you'll see how many gifts were made from how many different donor advice funds to that specific organization. Now to the kind of meat of your question, which, which is, are there trends that I've noticed in this process? There are a couple of, of different ones. And I, I think really there are three main trends that, that folks tend to, to fall in line with. One is local organizations. We'll have a donor come on and say, I live in the San Francisco area. I live in the Houston area. I live in the New York area. And they're going to look for organizations in that area and try to onboard them into the endowment ecosystem by giving them grants and kind of incentivizing them to say, hey, you should really talk to endowment because there's this money on the table for you, right? Often when that happens, a donor will create a donor advice fund, make a pretty large donation, and then split up that donation to recipient organizations that 
kind of meet their, uh, we'll say, geographic criteria. The second type is that we see a lot of folks actually recently who've come on our platform and who want to use our platform as a pass-through donor advice fund, which is something that we're happy to do, where they say, I have a pretty robust donor advice fund at Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard, um, and I would like to be able to donate cryptocurrency into that fund. Currently, Fidelity doesn't accept this form of cryptocurrency, or they only accept donations in this amount or what have you. Essentially, they use our fund to say, I'm going to put in you know, 10 units of Ether, and I would like you to make a grant to Fidelity and tell them to put it into my donor advice fund. So that's the second trend. And I would say the third trend is really surrounding philanthropic mission. We see a lot of folks who come on our platform and say, you know, I want to give to a nonprofit that works in environmental protection and preservation. I'm a little agnostic about which organizations to give to, but that's the philanthropic mission I want to support. What we've started doing is deploying these community funds that essentially are very similar to donor advice funds, but allow donors to donate directly into them, and they have predetermined destinations. What do I mean by that? We have our cryptocurrency uh, carbon offset fund, which essentially allows folks to donate directly into it. And we make regular payments out of that fund to any one of three different organizations, BEF, Cool Effect, and CarbonFund.org, all of which directly source and purchase carbon credits, right? So that is just one of the ways that we allow folks to have a really easy experience on our platform, understanding that not everyone knows exactly the organization they want to give to. And frequently folks come on and say, I want to give to an organization with this type of mission. Can you help me figure that out? Part of the reason why I've deployed these community funds. This week's sponsor, none other than Whole Whale, a digital agency helping social impact organizations build traffic and measure impact. However, they also have an amazing new tool, the Inclusivity Crawler, the inclusivity tool that helps you find language that may be offensive to some of your stakeholders and shareholders. It looks through issues of ethnicity, race, gender, health, wealth, religion, and a number of other isms, frankly, that maybe you didn't have in mind when you wrote that content last year, last two years, a decade ago. The inclusivity tool will go through a page or even your entire website if you need it and help you find language and replace that language with the kinds of words that will be welcoming. Inclusivitytool.com. Again, that's inclusivitytool.com. And now back to our show. Gotcha. And it's amazing to see that, again, the word transparency comes up and it's like pretty refreshing just to tease the audience as they, you know, end up maybe going to the endowment dot uh, org slash orgs. Uh, there's actually at the top a lot of um, a lot of journalism uh, related um, pieces about like sort of reporting the truth and those types of uh those types of organizations. And then you get into more environmental pieces uh, once you like scroll down the page a bit. So um, there's a, there's a fun dashboard somewhere to, to distribute and show that I imagine you could, uh, there's a freebie for you. You could release that uh, annually and, and people would look at it. One other piece that I find interesting, and maybe you can double check this for me is I see that total amount donated is 4.6 million thereabouts and total granted is 3.5. Now, when, when were you founded actually? When did this launch? 
Yeah, so we actually just celebrated our first anniversary of launching this product on mainnet. We got our 501c3 accreditation letter back in May of 2020, and we released our donor advisement product on the endowment.org website, uh, I believe it was a year ago yesterday, so October 6th of 2020. Since that time, as you said, we've had about $4.5 million donated into donor advice funds and endowment. And then those same donors have granted out about $3.5 million of those funds, which essentially means that of funds received in the first year, 78% has been granted out and already sent to 501c3 organizations, which is great because typically in the donor advice fund world, and we can talk about this you know, a little bit more deeply, only about 22% of any DAF balance on average is sent to nonprofit organization recipients every year. We kind of flip that on its head, hitting 78%. That said, I think we can continue to do better. People that are in the crypto space, are using the endowment platform, want to move their funds quickly. And we move their funds quickly whenever they're able to. What we do notice, though, is that there are some folks who will come on our platform, make a donation, often to receive a tax receipt. We actually had a, a lot of activity kind of the last week of December of last year um, and aren't necessarily immediately ready to take those funds that are in their donor advice fund and make grant recommendations with them. Part of the reason that I was talking about those community funds earlier is we're looking at new ways to make it really easy for donors to say, I don't know where I want these funds to go. Can you help me figure that out? So we help them figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. That's exactly where I was driving this, this train and that number, um, 77, 78, depending on where it's landing, is, is quite remarkable. The U.S. Dow roughly is, what, $120 billion right now, thereabouts, and appreciating with the market because those dollars are not in uh, USD coin. They are sort of growing with the market, which means it is making the people that manage it more money, as opposed to helping the people that work to solve the world's problems, ironically, sometimes caused by the very organizations that that money is invested in are, are creating, you know. And, and so in, in this ecosystem, that that is quite a stat. I mean, it's uh, quite high. And I, I would actually, my uh, my thought there is that if it, if it were actually still in um, in whatever holding in whatever cryptocurrency that uh, it came in on, it might actually change that distribution a bit more. I wonder if there's a certain like you know it's just sitting in this uh, USD coin, like ah, eh, get it out the door. Um, what what is your thought uh, on whether or not that would that would shift if uh, the dollars were, oh, not dollars if uh, if the coins were in different currencies. I think that if we allowed our donors to donate their cryptocurrency and, and not immediately liquidate it into USDC, that you're right. We would see that stat slip a little bit as folks would be incentivized to hold on to that crypto and watch it appreciate within their donor advice funds. That said, I think that there is value that the crypto community sees in using our platform to move funds really quickly. And I imagine if we kind of were able to unlock this ability that most of our donors would have a split approach, that they would make a donation in terms of Bitcoin, Ethereum, what have you, and they would probably take 
some portion of that, anywhere between a third and two thirds of it, and say, this is going to be the funds that I want to keep in this donor advised fund so it can continue to appreciate and I can continue to use the interest earned or the uh, essentially increase in value earned to perpetually fund nonprofits that I like, but I'll take the remainder and immediately grant it out now. And that blended approach is definitely something that we are looking to enable and support for our donor community. Yeah. Um, and, and just because I enjoy numbers, uh, I think there's maybe a small asterisk on the percent donated out with regard to donations that look like end up in the Fidelity Investments charitable accounts. So it looks like there may be a, a sort of pass through into a traditional uh, DAF going on with, with those numbers to the tune of about $300,000, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's exactly right. $300,000 has been granted to Fidelity from endowment DAFs. And while I can't speak to what the donors have done with it after the fact, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that anywhere from 50 to 75%, maybe more of those funds are currently sitting in investments at Fidelity. That's up to our donors. They're able to do that if they want. I'm happy to say that the vast majority of activity on our site is not using endowment as a pass-through DAF, but really using endowment to take crypto funds, convert them to dollars, and then send them to 501c3 charities that are doing that good, important work that are out there you know, in the weeds getting their hands dirty. And I think it's important to note that the nature of the, the end of year scramble, and here's the upside of DAFs. Here's the, the narrative that I, like, I definitely am bought into that there's a head scramble at the end of the year where you're like, oh gosh, I got to you know, tax loss harvest or I have to like book my gains now based on last minute decisions and you know, uh, December anxiety ensues. And that certainly plays out in crypto markets as well. That might not be the best time to make a thoughtful, effective decision in donating. And so that that pause period and that ability to sort of, hey, you know, I parked this money, I got what I needed, which was the, the write off my taxes. Now I have a breath and I can pay attention uh, to, to what and how I want to deploy my funds to uh, make make the world a touch better. Um, that feel that feels like the narrative. Um, that is happening with crypto um, and, and uniquely different. The downside, I'd say, is when, you know, when the horse leaves the barn, when you have $120 billion sitting in the classic fidelity um, or, or other holders of, of DAOs, you know, you have just a tremendous amount of wealth sitting on the sidelines, not actually working. And when you watch, you know, crisis, disaster, pandemic, pass and that money just continues to grow instead of being deployed it you know it makes you feel like we're not talking about a charitable cause but a tax vehicle for institutional wealth to be passed along and right now you're on the like exciting side of the coin but what kind of things um, are you doing to avoid this or are you just say, or are you of the mind that like heck that's not that bad maybe nonprofits don't need all that money right now so I am not of the mind that it's not all that bad because where is money going far? Where is it doing its work? Where is it having an impact? It's not having an impact when it's sitting in donor advised funds. It has an impact when it's sent from those donor advised funds, again, to those folks that are out there working at 501c3 charities, getting their hands dirty. I'm of the opinion that it's really important to keep that metric high, specifically 
percent granted of the amount that has been donated to donor advised funds and endowment. One of the things that we built into our contract, uh, essentially the terms that folks sign when they're actually coming onto our site and opening up a donor advised fund is that they need constant touches of their donor advised fund. So what do I mean by that? If any fund is left untouched, undonated to, no grants are made from that fund for a year, we reach out to that donor and get in touch with them and see what's going on. If that occurs for a year after that those emails are sent where we're trying to get in touch with the donor, endowment will take custody over that donor advice fund and immediately grant out all funds within that fund to 501c3 charities on our platform, not endowment. We're not gonna self deal here. We're not gonna use this as an opportunity to kind of donate to ourselves, but we will take custody over that DAF and begin making grant recommendations out of it to 501c3 charities. Basically, that is our way of ensuring that all donors remain connected to their donor advice fund and aren't just making donations to receive a tax benefit and leaving funds sitting idle. Idle funds in the donor advice fund industry kind of aggravate me, to be totally honest. The numbers you're referring to, I imagine, are from the DAF report, which we'll include a link to in the show notes. But when you see that $120 billion was sitting in DAFs, that that number increased between 2019 and 2020, I believe, to about $147 billion, and only about $20 or $25 billion of that was granted out in that same year, you start to ask yourself, what really is the purpose of these funds? As you said, is this for a donor benefit for tax purposes, or is this actually a fund that benefits nonprofits at the end of the day? We saw some recent legislation you know, hit Congress and discussions surrounding what laws should change surrounding DAFs. How should we alter the way that donors interact with these nonprofit entities that are donor advised fund providers to make sure that this isn't just a tool that the rich are able to use to avoid taxes, but actually is a meaningful vehicle for moving dollars to charity. When that happened, we got a lot of questions about, you know, do you support this legislation? What do you think about it? As a team, we really came to the conclusion that this legislation doesn't go far enough, that we can do better and we can create additional both carrots and sticks to make sure that money doesn't sit in donor advised funds for months, for years, for decades, but is instead getting out to the nonprofits where it's supposed to be. That's the whole purpose of a donor advised fund and making an impact in the world. Yeah. And thank you for calling out the numbers. Yeah. I was saying that the 120, actually, you're right, was from 2018. 2019 uh, was 140. I can't find, um, I can't find 2020, but I'm willing to bet it went up. <laughs> I'm, willing to I'm, bet it I'm went sure up. it did. I'm sure. I'm sure it did. Yeah, and we'll we'll have that uh, in the show notes, and it's interesting for for you to hear. And because it's on the contract, you can literally write that in. That is, you know, it's right there, saying like, "Hey, by the way, um, if it goes there." And also, very uh, very good point about the like, and <laughs> it doesn't just go back to the house. You know, the casino takes your chips back if you uh, go to the bathroom. Yeah, we're we're not going to do that. We don't want to create any incentives for the organization that are out of line with our mission. Right. One of those is in the case of a donor advised fund that is no longer managed by a donor, we're not going to use that essentially as an opportunity to fund ourselves, but we will use that as an opportunity to send money to deserving nonprofits that are already set up on our platform. 
while I'm on that topic, let me just also take a minute and talk about the fees associated with our platform. Normally at a Fidelity or a Schwab um, or a Vanguard or a Morgan Stanley, where I used to work actually, when you open up a donor advice fund, you're told we're going to take somewhere between two and a half to four and a half percent every year of the balance that you have in this fund. That's both an administrative fee and also an investment fee as traditional donor advice funds allow you to invest in uh, certain different assets, certain different assets, excuse me. We didn't really like this model because it seemed to us that these traditional donor advice funds, while they may have the right mission and be doing the right kind of thing, are incentivized to make it really easy for funds to flow into their organization, but maybe make it not so easy for funds to flow out. After all, they make money the longer that funds sit in their organization. So we can already see their the alignment of their incentives is out of sync with what we've been talking about, that we want more money to flow to nonprofit recipients at the end of the day. So here's what we decided to do. We take half a percent of all donations that flow onto our platform and 1% of all grants that flow out of our platform. In that way, we take a maximum fee of any dollars that move through the endowment system of one and a half percent. And that doesn't matter if you grant over the course of a day, a month or a year, it's still one and a half percent because we don't think that we should be incentivized to make it difficult to grant out. And in fact, we want to make it clear that endowments success in terms of both our, both our mission and our vision is when dollars are flowing out of the organization, which is why we thought it important to say, we're going to recognize the bulk of our inflows of our revenue when dollars are actually flowing out via grants to nonprofits. Gotcha. So transaction occurs, money moves from one address to another. It's 1.5% to the house. Correct. Gotcha. Random here, but how do you, how do you deal with the mounting gas fees that seem to, to pile up on Ethereum? That's a tough one because <laughs> gas fees, honestly, I'll just be straightforward with you. It's tough. I've been approving grants over the course of the day and this week. This week has been particularly bad for gas fees. Any action that we take working on the Ethereum blockchain is going to cost some gas fee, right? And I have paid uh, as the kind of account admin here, a uh, decent chunk of change in order to get grants approved, get money out the door. Really two things. First, we look at it opportunistically of... When gas is low, we'll put, you know, we'll do all those administrative actions at that moment to try to save some money on gas. And the second piece of it is Ethereum is about to go through over the course of the next, I'll, I'll err on the side of caution and say three to six months, but is about to go through the merge where they move from proof of work to proof of stake. In addition to this, making the Ethereum blockchain significantly more environmentally friendly, it also is likely to have the effect that it will strongly reduce the gas cost burden on endowment. It's going to make the process of sending transactions, of interacting with smart contracts a little bit cheaper, a little bit faster. And we'll see where that goes. But to be perfectly honest, this is part of the reason why we need to take that one and a half percent and part of the reason why we fundraise so we can offset the cost for oh, us. So you're offsetting it. So I, as a donor, you're covering my gas fee on that donation. So when you actually make a donation into your donor advice fund, you're going to issue a transaction and you're going to have to pay a gas fee. 
Yeah. But after that, you pick up the cost as opposed to take it out of the total amount donated. That's exactly right. Oh, that's pretty. Uh, I so when you're, when you're, you, you can't wait for ERC 20 then. <laughs> oh, for, uh, we, we can't wait for the merge. It'll be fantastic. Um, we're really excited about it. In addition to being excited about it for endowment, we're also kind of big Ethereum folks. So we're, we're excited to see development of the network. But what is actually happening behind the scenes, whenever a grant is made, needs to get approved by our staff. Whenever an org comes onto our platform and makes a claim for their organization, it needs to be approved by their staff. After a grant is approved, we have to issue the payment to that organization, which is an Ethereum transaction that's done by our staff. For all of those actions, we absorb 100% of the gas cost and continue with those operations. I, want, I mean, hold on. I'll, I'm going to pause really quickly because we went through a lot of gobbledygook there. Gas is essentially like the fee for a transaction. Think about like if you were to pay with an Amex and that 2.5%, it's like this fee that's paid to the system to write across the ledger, right? And it's like, uh, it costs that much to pass, but it, it wildly varies and it can go uh, quite high uh, during peak uh, peak usage. And so this new update that's coming is a huge efficiency boost to the system. And if you're interested, we'll leave it in the show notes, but uh, that is a, a big cost. And, and, you know, by my estimate from what you've said, that's, that's possibly the most honorable way to be, to be doing it. My inst, my instinct there was like, oh, they probably take it out of the total donation and mark it down, whatever, but it, um, you're, you're passing that along. And so um, that's awesome. Thank you. I Thank have. You. I have another question with regard to there's a nonprofit listening right now saying like, come on, how, like, how do I appeal to this group of donors now? Um, what is unique? What is unique about the, the crypto donor, how they decide? And more importantly, what advice would you have for a nonprofit right now to sort of pivot or add to their existing communications that might reach this new audience? So crypto donors are this new group of folks that nonprofits have to figure out how to reach out to. That's exactly right. And many of these individuals are on the young side, are newly flush with capital, right? And are figuring out for the first time in their lives, how do I become a philanthropist and what organizations do I want to support, right? Often these, we find that these individuals are looking at donating some of their assets really because of the tax impact, because they want to take some gain from their cryptocurrency, but they know that if they don't offset that gain, a lot of it's going to be eaten up. So they're approaching our platform as a means to make a donation and receive a tax benefit. Because of that, the, the most successful strategy we find that nonprofits take is reaching out to their existing donor base, letting them know that they are now able to accept cryptocurrency-backed grants and kind of seeing where folks go with that. What's really great is I've talked to a number of nonprofits who have you know, read about us or heard about us, that kind of thing, and then decide to get set up on our website without first talking to a donor. And then they take some copy that we work on together, send that to their donor cohort, and they're able to get a whole bunch of really excited responses of folks saying, you know, I didn't know you were set up to do this. This is fantastic. I wasn't able to give in terms of cash this year, but I'd love to be able to give in terms of cryptocurrency this year. 
to that tune, I think that the most important thing that a nonprofit can do, aside from informing donors about their ability to accept crypto, is to honor the same kind of cryptocurrency blockchain ethos that we were talking about earlier in this conversation. If you have a way as a nonprofit to be really transparent, do that, you're going to gain the confidence of cryptocurrency holders, folks that are interested in endowment and in finding nonprofits to donate to, or rather to grant to, after funding their donor advised funds. So what does that actually look like, right? I'll give you an example. This is what we happen to do. We have our latest 990, or we will have our latest 990 as soon as the IRS uh, gives it back to us and says they approve it. Our 501c3 accreditation letter, our 1023, all of that publicly available on our website. You don't need to go to Charity Navigator and try to figure out like, where do I get the 990 for this organization? We want all that completely out there. On top of that, because we are built atop the Ethereum blockchain, as you pointed out before, numbers like how much money have you raised? How much money have you granted? That's all public information. And those numbers that are on our main page are updated in real time. Every time that you load that page, it is double checking to make sure that those numbers are the most updated numbers from our system, right? So two things, again, just to review, letting existing donors know that you now accept this new asset class, and two, finding ways as a nonprofit to honor the ethos that is blockchain and that is crypto focused on transparency. Yeah, so a lot of the the classic doing doing the right thing in terms of transparency and, and communication. However, it seems like there's this added layer of like, hey, we are now accepting. So making sure that your existing audience knows that to a certain extent. Um, I would also maybe push here and say, you know, dipping into looking at what are the organizations already succeeding um, from your um, from your platform and from your donors actually tells a very interesting story, and you know. Uh, I think there's there's certainly uh, another podcast of content to to cover, but I'd encourage folks to go and check that out. Uh, Zach, you've been incredibly generous with uh, with your time here and expertise. I, I feel like it's time to go into rapid fire questions, learn a little bit more about you and what you're thinking. All right, let's do it. Okay, please keep your answers to I don't know, call it thirty seconds ish. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? So we talked about it before, but I'll mention it again, and there'll be a link in the show notes. But Etherscan is a fantastic site that allows you essentially to audit the Ethereum blockchain. You can see all transactions that have ever occurred on Ethereum. And if you know where to look, like if you were to look up endow.eth, which is the Ethereum address for our main wallet, you'd get to see all the actions that we as an organization take. It's just a really cool aspect of the blockchain technology that all this information is stored and is publicly auditable. What tech issues are you currently battling with? So the Ethereum blockchain and all blockchain and crypto stuff is an ever evolving technology. Constantly it is changing and our services need to change as a result. Over this these past couple of months, the Ethereum blockchain implemented an Ethereum improvement protocol numbered 1559. It changed the way that some of these gas interactions take place on the blockchain. And it's not really important to dive into all the minutia of exactly what occurred. But what's important to know is that because it changed the way that transactions happen on the blockchain, we had to change the way all of our smart contracts work and the way that we interact with them. 
What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? The thing I'm most excited about in the next year is definitely the reskinning of the endowment application, which should be live right about the time that this podcast releases. So it could be live as you're listening to me talk right now. But we have some exciting, you know, new elements, new UI, UX elements that we'll be incorporating into the endowment site. At first launch, now a year ago, the most important thing to us was functionality. We needed to make sure that it worked, was functional. We wanted to make it look okay. It's not super pretty. Looks pretty nice. Now it's not only going to be super functional, but it's also going to be a beautiful application to look at. Talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now. So this may be a little bit of a self-serving answer, but early in my career, I didn't trust myself the way I do now. I had a lot of self-doubt. I had a lot of imposter syndrome, whether that was working in a for-profit entity like Morgan Stanley, where I used to work, or working at the various nonprofits that I both worked and volunteered at over the last decade. Something I pride myself on now is trusting myself and knowing that while I'm not always going to be right and I will make mistakes, that I have a pretty good head on my shoulders and that if I remind myself of the core mission of the organization that I represent, of endowment, I'm going to be able to figure out what the right call is in any situation. Do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? For sure. It is not easy, but it's definitely possible for some organizations to essentially fulfill their purpose and make themselves no longer necessary, right? Which is super exciting for a nonprofit to be able to do. Might also be concerning in terms of employment if you happen to work for that nonprofit instead of volunteer for them. But that is the goal of any particular nonprofit to say, we accomplished our philanthropic mission. The world is better because of it. And we no longer need to be concerned for this issue anymore. If I were to throw you in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning of your work with endowment, what advice would you give yourself? I would remind myself to have fun. It's important to take a step back from the everyday minutiae of code review, of talking to individual nonprofits, of talking to donors, yada, 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 right? It's important to take a step back, look at what we've been able to accomplish here and look at how we've accomplished it. It's been a really exciting time to work with Robbie, our CEO, actually someone who I've known for something like 17 or 18 years at this point, as well as all these new staff members that have come aboard that we've hired in the last you know, six months or so. So exciting to see what we've been able to do together and reminding myself at the beginning to have fun, to step back, to pay respect to the work that we've been able to do. That would have been nice. I'm reminding myself now so I can have that kind of going forward. What is, uh, what is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? You actually mentioned it before, which is funny. The thing we should stop do we should stop doing when we're able to is stop auto converting all cryptocurrency donated into US dollar coin. As soon as we figure out the right way to be inside of what is legal and be able to allow our donors to hold Ethereum, to hold Bitcoin, to hold other ERC20 tokens or other forms of cryptocurrency in their donor advice funds, I'll be really pumped about that. And folks in the crypto community, I think are going to be very excited about that as well. If I were to give you a magic wand to wave across the industry, what would it do? If I had a magic wand to wave across the industry, 
I would wave it at all donor advised funds that exist. And that pot of about $120 billion would all be distributed to nonprofits over the course of the next 12 months. How did you get started in the social impact sector? So the beginning of my experience in the social impacts sector is really goes all the way back to middle school, maybe even before that, but that's just as early as I can remember. Whether it was at the overnight camp that I attended or the youth group that I was part of in middle school and high school, I immediately gravitated toward the social impact elements of it all. I felt really strongly like it was important to take my time and my energy and give back to communities that I was a part of. Sometimes that looked like helping people that look like I looked like at some point. What do I mean by that? That's like, you know, tutoring folks and, and kind of participating in different community programs, but also doing things for folks that I'm not so similar to, right? And working at various nonprofits that, you know, help folks who are currently exp experiencing homelessness or something similar along those lines. But volunteering at organizations quickly became my recharge time. You know, some folks are introverted and like to be alone. Some folks are extroverted and like to be with other people. I guess some folks are philanthroverted and like to do good work and that gives them energy. We'll have to add that to our lexicon. <laughs> Thank you for the creative license to make up a word on your podcast. What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't follow? So my parents, I imagine similar to many parents, encouraged me really to, to play it safe and a decent bit safer than I have chosen to be in life. I think that it makes sense that they advise me that way. And I also think it makes sense for me and for, for most kids to kind of push past what their parents think is safe and okay. You know, they wanted me to work for basically one company for the entirety of my adult life. Uh, it's been really exciting to go on this journey to take chances, to take risks, to try something new, and then to talk to my folks about you know, their, their view on things. It's, um, it's been really awesome to show them that you can accomplish a lot and take risks, and that's okay. What advice would you give college grads right now looking to enter the social impact sector? My main advice would be to diversify your experiences. And I mean, primarily within the 501c3 world, but also at for-profit entities too. Really, the thing that's going to make you the best 501c3 employee or volunteer is that you come from a lot of different spaces. The reason that I feel like I'm pretty good at what I do at Endowment is because I had experience in the nonprofit world. I had experience as a teacher and tutor, which makes it kind of gives me some experience in helping folks to understand like, what the hell is this whole crypto thing? What is a blockchain? How does this all work? And then I also had experience working at Morgan Stanley in their finance department, which kind of gave me, I guess, the sense of how to run operations for an organization. And it's only through all of those experiences together that I'm able to do my job as COO of endowment. And I would encourage anyone getting into the 501c3 world to really to move around, to do different things, whether that's within an organization or across different organizations, to diversify your experiences will only make you a more well-rounded individual. And also, it's going to make you a better employer volunteer as well. All right, Zach, final hardball question here. How do people find you? How do people help you? 
How do you find us? How do you help us? I would encourage everybody to head over to app.endowment, E-N-D-A-O-M-E-N-T.org. And that link, like I said before, will be in the show notes. But you can head to that site. You can read a little bit about us and see by now the new reskin of our application. And also what you can do is if you scroll to the bottom of any page, you're going to find really easy access to a number of important locations, our Twitter, our Discord, our documentation page. The two things that I'll say are most important. If you want to join the community, if you want to learn more about our organization, find us on Discord. Those links are on our site and find our documentation page, which has a lot of copy about our organization. That site is docs, D-O-C-S dot endowment.org will also be in our show notes. But the best way that you can help us spread the word about our organization, whether that's you as a donor making a donation and you know facilitating that grant through endowment or spreading word to a local nonprofit that you like to support, letting them know that they have a cost-free way to use endowment and open themselves up to receipt of a whole new asset class of gifts. Again, thanks for the work you do. And for for the sake of many nonprofits, I, I hope you succeed. Thank you, George. I really appreciate it. and had a wonderful time talking to you today. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas Music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 